This is Power Athlete Radio. With your hosts, Denny Kaye, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. What's up, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to episode 76 of Power Athlete Radio. I'm Denny. I'm here with John, Luke, Tex, Callie, and Playtech. We're ready to rock and roll. How you guys doing over there? Doing well, thanks. What is uh, Denny? You seem so uh, you seem preoccupied. Just, no, ecstatic today. He just seems like he's really excited to be here. A lot of coffee, man. I've had no, a lot I'm being of facetious, bro. Yeah. You don't seem that happy. <laughs> How could I not be happy? I'm doing what I love. That's 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 a word you of a liar. Doing what I love and loving what I do. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So we have to tell our listeners, uh, Morrow, we got to reschedule Morrow. He's a busy man. I know we hyped him up that he was going to be on today's show, but we'll we'll have him next week. Yeah, it was last minute last night you shut out that email, right, Denny? Yeah. Well, he well let's, he hey, uh, let's just talk, talk a little bit about for those people that obviously are going to click on this deal and expect to hear Amaro de Pasquale. Uh, I'll just give you a little history on Morrow, and uh, hopefully we can preempt and get him on here next week or in the coming weeks. Uh, Morrow is not only an accomplished powerlifter, but a doctor out of Canada, and I was fortunate to meet Dr. de Pasquale in 1999. Uh, my agent, uh, Ed Cunningham, was friends with Morrow, and Morrow ended up setting me up with my first supplement deal and sent me a, you know boxes of supplements to try out. And he had a book uh, attached, a hardcover book. He gave me the anabolic diet and the metabolic diet. So after I went through and looked at all these supplements and had no idea what to do, I opened up the book and started going through. And he had a huge deal on supplements, but also had this, uh, you know, his diet stuff for the anabolic diet, which was a secular low-carb kind of a uh, you know ketogenic diet with a refeed, and it was really the first exposure I had ever had to carb cycling. And I you know called him up, and he said, you know, here's the deal. Uh, uh, you know, I want you to do this. It's great for body composition and strength, but you know, in terms of like you know football base glycolytic performance, there's going to be a decrease. But what I think you ought to do is uh, you know it's the off season. Let's try this diet, and then we'll make adjustments along the way, and we'll kind of tailor it. And that became really the initial groundwork for not only my the you know the the way I follow diet and a lot of the things I did for the next you know what are we in 2015 almost for the next 15 some years. So really, what you guys see from the Power Athlete Diet and what I've done in terms of recommendations really started at that you know initial you know, reading a console and a lot of the stuff that I did with Morrow. And then, you know, as I all of a sudden put on, you know, put on muscle, gut size, started changing body composition, I started fine tweaking the diet and really realizing that, you know, that, uh, you know, the majority of your car- calories should really come from that, you know, proteins and fats and then carbs, you know, and I, it's great. I mean, I see it all over the internet. People you know, constantly hashtag earn your carbs. And that whole idea of earning your carbs and using carbs as fuel and starting to understand the power of it really doesn't take hold on people until they go to a you know kind of a ketogenic diet where you're you know for 12 days you eat a keto diet and then all of a sudden you hit that first carb refeed on a let's say on a Saturday morning you sit down and eat a bunch of pancakes 
and all of a sudden you're sitting there and sweat is dripping off of you and your heart's racing and you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, what's going on here? And it's just one of those mere facts that like, you know, you, you know, starve yourself and you get into a ketogenic state and dump the carbs back in. All of a sudden there's a huge, huge, uh, you know, hormonal shift and that was really my first deal. But, uh, you know, then as I started to train and started looking for more performance, that's how I started adjusting the diet. So, um, I'd, it'd be great, you know, hopefully next week we can get Mauro on, he's a wealth of knowledge, and it's, um, you know, really the first guy that I remember who was really big into the carb cycling, and, and really, I think, the, the father of a lot of what you see with a lot of this uh, kind of uh, macro manipulation stuff. Now, you're, you were talking about sweating on your pancakes. Is this like a personal, <laughs> is it, it's pretty vivid, it seemed like a, is this something that happened this weekend? Uh, it happens all the time. So, <laughs> in uh, since, since we contacted Mauro, uh, you know, I, I just about the time I hit up Morrow to get on the podcast, uh, one of my, you know, we talked about our pro bono client, Huey, um, and Huey is on a ketogenic diet. You know, Huey's, you know, needs some, some weight to lose, and he's got, a, you know, a couple other issues that we need to work through, and so we decided that a ketogenic approach would probably be the best one for him instead of, uh, you know, allowing him to kind of, oh, I'm going to eat this and eat this, just be like, no, 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 this is what you're going to eat, we're going to put you on a ketogenic diet until we can lose the weight, and then we'll slowly start adding things back in once we fix a little bit of the metabolic derangement. And his big thing to me was, uh, I don't think I can do this by myself. And I was like, all right, no problem, I'll do it with you. So uh, probably about three months ago, uh, I started doing the, you know, uh, kind of jumped on the keto with him for about 12 or 14 days. And then I kind of went to an anabolic approach where I do a carb refeed. And uh, literally on Saturday morning, I'll get up and I'll make my girls like gluten-free pancakes. And I'll be sitting there. And as I'm like making them, everything's fine. All of a sudden, I sit down and put some syrup on them. And the girls start eating their pancakes. I take like two bites. And all of a sudden, my wife is like, what is wrong with you? Why are you sweating so bad? I'm like, I can't stop sweating. And then like seriously, like 17 pancakes later, I'm still hungry. So... It's, uh, it's definitely an interesting shift, but uh, in terms of performance and just being able to really like ramp up intensity for your workout, it is a terrible fucking thing to be on a low-carb diet for doing this stuff. Like, we did the lactic acid threshold test this morning on the aerodynes, <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. Like, right around like the third round like I, or the third set, I started getting like metal mouth and like you know, lactic acid's pooling and walking around. Poor Luke's over there, like faking injuries, trying to get a shoelace in there. Yeah, so I untied my shoelace on the third round. And uh, managed to get it tangled in the pedal just so John could win. That's just a, that's the <laughs> price you got to pay to be John's training partner. Oh, you win, wow. all of a sudden you're in the silent treatment. It's all moody. Luke, Luke, and I time all of our lifts. So like we'll time our lifts, and like then we we compete in all of our lifts. Now it's like uh, you can't lift that in points. You know, my best is point seven seven. And then I came out, and I think on the last set, and yeah, like I set, like, uh, yeah, got him on the last one. So we were pulling deadlifts and squats and then uh, had to do that lat test, which is uh, never a good thing. But right around a Thursday, after having not eaten any or less than 25 grams of carbs for uh, four days, it dramatically, dramatically just, like, you feel so tired. You know, all I want to do is just drink coffee all day. So, But uh, I know on Saturday I'm going to eat some pancakes. And we're gonna. I'm, I'm gonna crush some pancakes. I'm probably gonna have some oatmeal and maybe some white rice. So and I'm gonna lay around and sweat all day. Uh, not really on topic, but you know, one of the things that we talked about. We were in a meeting yesterday and just uh, talking a bit about training and shit with some guys. Uh, but you know, John, what you mentioned is the best way to get strong is to live with the strongest people you know. 
So that's clearly a challenge with you because I'm not nearly as strong with you. Does this, does the Tendo unit bring that competitive, like does that fulfill the competitive edge for you? A little bit. Um, I kind of had a little bit of a setback this week in that on, sa <laughs> on Saturday, uh, they, our, uh, Uncle Dave was in town for Virginia Beach and so he came to visit us and uh, he got in Friday and we got up early at like, you know, 5.45 to come in and train on Saturday morning because... I had a full day of housework ahead of me to be able to get ready for the girls' party on Saturday. And so we got in here early, and I'd already done all my training. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to come up with something. I want to test a little something. I want to try to hammer the hamstrings a little. So I loaded up four plates in the sled, and we did. I just programmed this on Fieldstone for anybody wondering where it came from. And we did 60-yard uh, power walks to 20 reverse hypers with four plates, and then it was uh, 10 reps with the safety squat bar on to do the reverse hypers with the safety squat bar around your neck. And I did that for six rounds. And I felt fine when I left. Uh, went home, sat down, proceeded to install turf and get the house ready and all that for like the next, like, you know, until 2.30 in the afternoon. Finally got something to eat. And uh, I have had hamstring soreness so bad that I couldn't bend over to pick anything up for like four days. And so today we came in and uh, pulled some heavy deadlifts and some squats. And actually it felt better, but... Uh, I haven't had muscle soreness. It lasted four days in ever in my life. High school. Had to yeah, high school. So, like, I'm like, it's either the no carb or the fact that uh, mixing reverse hypers, uh, back extensions with 65 pounds on your back and 60 nice. yards uh, uh, power walking is not a good thing to fucking mix. So, I, I threw it at the field strongers because I want to see if they're getting the same hamstring soreness I have because, you know, <laughs> if I got it, fuck them, they should have it too. <laughs> But, you know, the Tendo unit has added a really fun element to our training because it allows you to, like, compete on an equal plane. Like, let's say Luke's, pull, you know, let's say Luke's pulling 405 of the deadlift and I'm pulling 500, and we're both pulling, you know, doubles, triples, or whatever we're pulling. We have the ability to be able to say, okay, these are our set percentages. This is where we're at. Now, who can move the bar faster? And so it allows you to kind of train. I mean, it's for the same reason we love the monolift is that we can, Luke and I, who's, what are you, five? Six, uh, five, six, but I wear lifts, so it puts me to five ten. Yeah, so Luke's five ten. I'm six five or six six. So it allows us to squat, so we can just rise and lower the mono, so we only have to squat off one bar, which is nice because then you get to turn with somebody. So all you lone rangers out there, find yourself a training partner and find a way to normalize it, so you guys can go head to head. It's the only way to do it. Yeah, are you guys? Nice. Are you guys deadlifting uh, sumo or conventional or you alternate? Well, we actually found a new deadlift where we try to get our feet on the outside of the plates. It's called extreme sumo. Well, I've been straddling the bar. I've been straddling the bar, grabbing in front, and then behind. That's a deadlift. It's called a suitcase deadlift. Yeah, but I jump with the bar. So, you know, get, you really push that gooch It's a lot of thrusting motion, huh? <laughs> no, we just do conventional yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, no, no. We're, no, we're, we're, we're I asked that because uh, I had some lower back soreness. And I was I deadlifted earlier during the week, so I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll like, because I rarely pull sumo, and so I'm like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. So I started deadlifting sumo stance, and I fucking felt weak as shit. What? Like I just, never sumo deadlift. I was just, you know, I mean, I've at some of the other seminars I've been to, you know, they kind of push. Sumo, so I I well, know I could pull heavier conventional than I can sumo. Well, think about uh, you know uh, Louis' big contention is that the wide wider stance builds the strength of the hips, 
and that if you if you squat wide and pull wide, you should always be stronger stronger squatting narrow, pulling narrow. Uh, but somebody that does nothing but squats narrow, pulls narrow, will never be strong on the wide. So I don't know. You know, like it makes sense, but I think like at least for me that uh, if I squat wide all the time and just work on building the hips, I, I, I end up kind of losing a little bit of that quad strength. And then when I come in in close, I don't always feel like I have the same power, which just means that if you want to be good in the movement, you have to train it. If you want to be good at that rep range or that range of motion or that stance or whatever, you have to do it. So, you know, and, and then there's also something to be said about you know, greasing the groove and specificity of movement that, hey, you know what, uh, I'm going to put a bar on my back and I'm going to squat and I'm going to do it and I'm going to get really good at this. And, you know, when you run into some of the conjugate stuff, it's like they're rotating the lifts and the bars so much that the idea of avoiding accommodation, but, you know, at some point you can kind of, you know, wear too many hats or too many seats. And that's why we kind of, you know, even though we rotate lifts, we have a very, very you know, much smaller pool than, let's say, 275 different lifts. I just yeah. throwing that out there, do you think the, the sumo could kind of hammer the hamstrings? I know we see a lot of females that just quad up deadlift. Do you think that's a way to throw some definite hamstring into uh, deadlifts? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've seen people, like, usually uh, the people that are the best sumo deadlifters are usually a longer torso, uh, shorter leg person. You know, usually a, a longer leg, shorter torso person will always be a better puller conventional style. So I think uh, some of that sumo conventional stuff goes back to almost body type a little bit. Um, but I could definitely see, um, you know, but it... It's funny for for every time like somebody makes an absolute like that, I can think of an exact opposite. Yeah. Like uh, like my wife, for example, Kate had a had a body weight of like 123, had like a 140 kilo back squat, so she squatted 308 at 123 in just a belt, uh, and she couldn't pull more than like 240 pounds on the conventional deadlift. And the first day she sumoed, she pulled 315. Now. Uh, she's super quad dominant, quad dominant in her squat, but for like some reason, like she could get her feet wide and, you know, uh, you know, a little shorter leg, a little longer torso, she could get her feet super wide and just reach down and only had to pull the bar like three inches. And she's like, oh my God, this is so much easier. And I was like, well, yeah, because you only have to pull the bar three inches. So I think for like, in terms of angles, uh, really depending on that body type, I think it's most advantageous, but I, I definitely think that... Uh, you know, if you're if you're doing a sport of powerlifting, I mean, Louis' deal was uh, you train whatever you don't do in a contest. So I remember when I was out there, he's like, you know, I know you pull conventional, so I want you to pull nothing but sumo deadlifts. And I ended up pulling a bunch of sumos, and uh, ended up, you know, shortly thereafter, like pring my four-inch deficit deadlift. I think I pulled like you know 645 for a five or something, and hadn't pulled anything conventional, just been doing sumo. And so like it kind of goes back to that idea that you know all of a sudden. You know, we say, you know, I've said for so many, you know, 74 times I've been on this podcast that the biggest changes you'll see is when you have a huge change. You know, people wonder like, oh, I started the Renegade diet or this diet and I did this and I made these phenomenal gains. Well, that's because all of a sudden you went from doing one thing to doing this violent, you know, change. I mean, people that go from a machine-based uh, hit program and then all of a sudden go into a, a strength-based program and make good gains. People that are coming off of, you know, doing some form of hammer strength and, and you know, uh, jogging aerobics at the, at the global gym, they go into a CrossFit gym where all of a sudden now they're doing high-intensity, you know, functional move or functional moves performed at high-intensity, this, and, you know, all of a sudden they have phenomenal gains because the training stimulus is so different. 
You know, people come in and they're eating a high carb, low fat, moderate protein diet. Next thing you know, they're lowering the carb, up in the protein, up in the fat, and they have huge gains. So I think like, you know, everything works, but not everything works forever. And where people really see gains when they all of a sudden sort of flipping it out. And I think that's where you know a lot of the the conjugate stuff really ends up you know having value is that it's taking people out of these their common movement patterns and putting them into new ways and. Uh, you know, and uh, like it just ends up working really, really well. I mean, for for us, uh, you know, whenever people ask me about chains and bands and bars, I always refer to this idea as the chaos training. That you know, you're you're training for everything to go wrong. Like all of a sudden, you sit in the squat, and the safety bar pushes you forward, and so it forces you to arch your back to stay in good position. And you know, the bands, the chains, I mean, all these things are pulling you out of position. And you know, I, I think that's what is most valuable with a lot of these different things. You're putting in people in different movement patterns and forcing them to adapt. And you know, that adaptation is of being strength. You know, going with the um, bands and chains. You remember John when uh, we had Hatfield on? He was kind of talking about how he wasn't a big. He seemed to not be a big fan of like you know throwing bands on because he felt like it slowed you down. No, well he originally uh, was against the chains and bands, and then forwarded me when we had our uh, our really killer talk. He forwarded me all this research a guy had done on compensatory acceleration and using bands and chains and what they found was that muscle activation and then like you know fatiguing of neuromuscular pathways and you know rate coding and firing of uh, muscle fibers you know everything happens in sequence and they found that for shorter movements like the bench press and the deadlift that they were able to recruit more muscle using uh, some form of accommodating resistance so that really uh, forced him to have to go back and look at accommodating resistance and looking at the jump stretch bands and the chains and you know uh, the bands and the chains are two different animals um, so you, you know it's not really fair to lump them together in, in terms of accommodating resistance now you think about as you squat and the chain link kind of drops it's going to naturally as the chains fall start pulling you in different directions and so uh, there was always this idea that chains build brutal strength that you know as you get down that chain goes and then you have to drive against it uh, whereas the bands you know you have the, the weight of that elasticity eccentrically pulling you to the earth or pulling you down and then as you get into that amortization phase uh, the you know you're gonna have to really work on you know the the speed of the movement to be able to go from that eccentric isometric to concentric movement and you know and then you're fighting gravity and the force pulling you down again so it, they're just two I, I think two very very different uh, you know different uh, adaptate or um, uh, you know effects um, whereas you know I think the bands are super hard on the nervous system like I, I just got a, a text from um, one of the strength coaches that we uh, you know I help out with some stuff is at a, uh, a college down in Texas, and he asked me a little bit about you know doing some dynamic accommodating resistance on a on a volume day for their football players, and I was like, yeah, I would do it, and I would just you know make sure the bar weight was fast enough where they were you know using the tendo and trying to be between that 0.7 to you know 0.8 meters per second, and they would add accommodating resistance, but I would use the chains during the season and maybe use the bands in the off season. Just because you know, for those guys, the recovery is such a key factor, and I just, I just know that uh, you know, when I first went out to Westside, uh, there's a big guy out there named Bull, who, uh, you know, Mike, who, who's a uh, you know, kind of a, 
I've been a stalwart there for a long time, and I remember him talking about, you know, bands are hard on the nervous system, and it's tough to recover, and you can overdo the bands too much, and you have to be smart in how you're kind of using them. And he's like, you know, if not, if you do too much band, it's really going to fry you, and you, you might not, you know, you might really have trouble ever recovering. And so at that point, I realized, like, oh, you know what, the bands have their place, and the chains have their place, and you got to kind of, you know, move them in and out and periodize with them, and you know, wave them in, do one, do both, and you know, start, you know, mix them up. All right, yeah. I wasn't, or go ahead, Tex. Uh, I was just going to say, kind of with the, the Hatfield, the common theme, though, that he wanted to emphasize was speed. I read that uh, research that he sent John, and people just say band, people just say change, and how they apply it, I mean, they lose that speed. When I was in Texas, they squatted twice a week. Monday, heavy-ass chains. Uh, Thursday, bands. But they were just th fucking throwing weight, throwing weight, and it was just slow grinding. So people can't just do bands for bands. They needed to kind of take that uh, cat approach with the speed. See, that's well, what I kind of thought with, uh, like, that's where I thought Hatfield was saying, like, the the bands would create that slow grinding. I mean, I understand the, I understand the, like, if you can increase your speed standing up with this band tension pulling you down, in theory, you take the bands off, you would stand up faster. I mean, I get all that, but I was kind of confused. Um, after he had said, or I felt like he kind of said, I don't like the bands, period, because no, they create no. the grinding squat, you know, the grinding movement. No, he, he, uh, I had originally, like when I had read stuff, and, and when you start looking at the compensatory acceleration, and you start, you know, and you go back and you read some of that original stuff, it appeared that, you know, he had uh, not really liked accommodating resistance, that, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, being able to, you know, bar speed was key. Now, the way Doc was doing it, and when they originally kind of first theorized compensatory acceleration, he had a guy that came in, and I think he called it like a torque meter. Yeah. So they had some guy come in from a lab who brought in this deal, and he called it a torque meter. And what it measured? Like hydraulic. Yeah, it was like a, yeah some weird deal. And so he could measure the force at which he was driving into the bar. So we we measured bar speed. And I think when he said he was doing his, like, you know, singles at 800 or 825 or whatever he was taking, he was uh, driving, like, 1,250 to 1,400 pounds into the bar. So they were able to, you know, get a measurement and then go back and extrapolate it. And so he was consistently at 1,400. So he knew going into that contest that if he had been driving 1,400 pounds of power or strength into the bar and that was the force he was driving, then he was good for his 1,000 plus. And uh, even though he had never squatted 1,000 in training... So he goes out and he blasts that thousand up. His training partners had been taking heavier lifts, but were like you know 975 nine, or 875 900, and those guys were driving like 925 pounds into the bar. I mean, they were all like pretty close. The force was pretty close to what they were doing. So uh, he knew going in there, he had it. Now. Um, I don't know what a torque meter is. I mean, I don't know anything about it, but I know that when we started looking at, like, okay, what's the the force at which you're driving into the bar? And, you know, and we play with it all the time. I mean, I, I know I can be the same off the floor, and if I don't finish my lift explosively, my time's going to be down. Um, you know, if all of a sudden, you, you know, you get past the point where you're at the mechanical advantage and you don't speed up, you're going to lose time. So, uh, you know, when I originally started or talking, and one of my first questions is, what do you think of a combination of resistance and chains and bands? And I was expecting him to be like, you know, rat fuck them. And he was like, no, I, uh, I really have changed my stance on it. I, I have this idea. But he said, you know, if you're adding chains in the bar or chains and bands 
and not working the acceleration of the CAD, I mean, you think about as the mechanical advantage increases in accommodating resistance, so does the weight. So if you don't keep driving against the bar and working to speed it up, if you let the accommodating resistance effectively slow you down or beat you, then it's negating the effect. So it's just kind of a, you know, interesting. And his deal, especially what he sent over, is that on shorter movements like a deadlift and a bench press, using something like the bands uh, helps activate more muscle fibers, which was really his goal with the accommodating resistance. All right. And Tex, you think that's obviously what you were seeing when you went down to that school? No, Tex saw a, a, a fucking train wrecking at five miles an hour in front of him. <laughs> Let the man speak for himself. If he says he can say more eloquently. I question the application of the program being applied. I'll say that. Okay. I think it was more like a 911, a, a John, what the fuck are these guys doing? And I'm like, they are effectively reading what other people are doing and applying it poorly with no understanding of what they're doing is basically what oh. would happen. So, so I mean, but, but, but people do it all the time. I mean, yeah. I, I've, I've seen people many, many times be like, oh, you know, the West Side guys are the strongest guys in the world, and they squat with chains and bands and have no concept of, one, how, you know, what the load is, uh, how they're doing it, how they've built up, how they periodize it, how they use it in the dynamic, how they use it in the max effort, how they put it all together. They just hear, oh, yeah, these guys are throwing chains and bands on bars, so let's get some chains and bands, let's throw, throw them on some fucking bars, and let's get rocking. And, uh, I, kind of, I kind of feel like that's what I see when I, when I do like my own is traveling around the area and watching people's programs. It's like they're just doing it because they're just repeating like the same you know, shit that they see. It's like, oh, these guys do it, so I'll do the same thing. Yeah, it's a monkey see, monkey do. Instead of realizing, like, hey, there's a place in this. I mean, there's a place for bar, uh, you know, in the, you know, in the training. I mean, it's, it just, it, it really goes back to like understanding the system and then having a, you know, real understanding of like what the training effect is and what you're looking to jump out and how you're looking to do it. I mean, it's just, it's kind of an endless amount of possibilities, but. You know, it's kind of this idea that, you know, doesn't really matter. We'll just throw as much as we can at the wall and hope to God something happens that's good, which seems to be most people's training idea. Break break a lot of eggs to make an omelet. Well, the uh, we had a funny deal the other day. We had a lady who, I guess, had been following CrossFit football and wanted to jump on the field strong stuff, and uh, she ended up joining, looking at the field strong for like 10 minutes and then realizing that it wasn't for her. And uh, so we were kind of getting some feedback from her, and she made a comment. She's like, you know... I really did well in CrossFit football because it was such low volume. And uh, I just kind of laughed a little bit because I remember when CrossFit football was a high volume, high intensity strength program. But it's now, way path to hell. Well, but now here we are four or five years later and we've, you know, we'll do two lifts and then you do a, uh, you know, sub 50 minute Metcon. And in terms of like what we're seeing out there in the world in terms of, uh, you know, functional fitness CrossFit land, Fuck everybody! Instead of like, you know, I mean, because it's really the only way you got to go. I mean, when you classify intensity as effort and not in, in, as a percentage, then people's really only thing to do is just add more and more and more, and then you get what we call a Christmas tree program, where you just start hanging ornaments. And I just kind of laughed, and you know, when I saw that we we're a, a low volume program, and I was like, wow, either. It, <laughs> Yeah, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be high intensity, lower volume. The problem is now people are just fucking. Well, relatively speaking, because that's where the market has gone with, yeah. with I guess the quote unquote premium programming model, uh, to the the desire to to really across the board increase work capacity. 
you're going to have to do more and more and more and more. And then that's also physiologically and psychologically what people like is that the hamburger effect, right? You want to be that sizzling burger at the end of the workout. It's all ground up. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, you know, you know, and I, I like to think, like, I mean, but it was interesting that she looks at the field strong, and she's like, oh, I'm like, well, it's really... Well, and specifically just so uh, to, uh, she was an archer, and she, when she shopped it around, she saw a lot of sprinting. And she said, and one of her concerns is like, hey, there's a lot of sprinting. Uh, if this is more for, like, an athlete to be moving around and through space and uh, do things that are athletic, she's like, I just draw a bow and release you know she that was her deal she was a she Olympic was archer yeah I mean but we you know and that's what the field strong program is really about it's like this athletic based program we're going to get you to change direction we're going to jump I mean we have a ton of dedicated plyos and if uh, if you don't want to do things athletic then you know what it I mean, be for you, yeah. yeah it's not for you it's and okay, um, and you know what we're not for everybody that's impossible don't say that John. I'll save that person so Tex, I know you got a hard stop, bro. Let's uh, let's talk Wade's army because I know you you got a lot of things going on. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of fun stuff going on. So um, I I needed not necessarily a, a gimmicky approach. I know we we were the first one of the first ones to apply that that full ice bath challenge. But instead of a bucket, you fully submerge yourself. And we caught some fire with there, and uh, then we lost it a little bit. So then uh, I was just kind of uh, kind of tapping my head about how can we take a proactive approach that not necessarily is a uh, an embarrassing gimmick thing. So then um, I got this uh, just idea for a flash fundraiser and uh, just put it on all of uh, our fundraisers so we know they're active, they want to, um, they've signed up, they're involved. And Will, Will Jones, one of our, our top fundraisers last year who lost his nephew to pediatric cancer, he kind of volunteered this $2,000 uh, to uh, one of the top fundraisers, so we decided to break it up and uh, into four flash fundraising drives, and the winner of each one just receives a $500 donation uh, from Will. And, Team Will. Uh, yeah, Kate, Kate and John won the first one, but then we had just a, a pretty short, uh, uh, tight race, our last one. So we're having a lot of fun with this thing, and uh, we're catching on to neuroblastoma, and we just what? lost 40, 45000 bucks with a month to go. So what I've learned about my network is they are either unsuccessful, cheap, lazy, or are not on Facebook. So there's you and your, your extraordinary league of gentlemen, whoever you're <laughs> friends with, and Kate on your ivory tower just handing out donation tickets. Yeah, we uh, unbelievable. No, we we we've gone and tapped some of our bigger friends. I mean, I uh, I, I was guilting people last night, being like, you, <laughs> I was like, you need brownie points. You need to get to St. Peter's Gate, and this might be the only thing that saves you, so don't say no to kids and pediatric cancer because uh, at that point somebody's bad's going to come look for you. So, I mean, we're, we're using by, by guilt, by hook or crook, any type of method we can to somehow raise as much money for this thing as we can. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's so worthwhile, and the coolest part is all proceeds go to charity. So, yeah. I mean, if, 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 if you give it, we're donating it. So it's... Uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, I was always had kind of a, a negative uh, kind of connotation with some of the charity stuff that I used to see in my previous job. And, um, you know, when uh, finally we decided to kind of do this, we had to say, hey, you know what, we want to make this thing as squared up and, you know, make sure that the, the money that we're raising is actually going to where we needed we needed to go instead of, you know, other places. So that's, that's part of the deal at the seminar. When I, I'm like, listen, I've been there. I'm an X-Files guy. 
I don't think that I think people are spending that money on yachts. They're not spending it on cat cancer or uh, lymphoma research or any of that shit. I'm like, but here's the good news. Like, you're looking. You know us. What are we gonna do with it? We're gonna find, we're gonna donate it all. We're not a bunch of scumbags. So yeah, we you can, you can be confident. We in work the in an office that's mainly a weight room. So, <laughs> so you, you know, if, uh, I th- I think they, that should come for people. They know like. They know the champions of the organization. They know the the chairman. And you get a cool shirt. And you get a shirt. Yeah. You're, you know, part of the community. Yeah, and then when we see the shirt, that entitles you to talk to Tex for at least two hours about strength and conditioning and have him buy you beers. Yep. If you see if you see if you're seen in public with Wade's Army shirt, there are a number of scenarios that are all beneficial for you. Maybe a pat on the butt, maybe a shirtless hug from Chelsea and Callie at the same Luke time. Luke Summers. Open mouth kiss. Hey, you know, I don't discriminate. <laughs> if you see me in a bar with the Wade's Army, I will definitely buy you drinks. For sure, without a doubt. And if you are part of Wade's Army and you see another person with Wade's Army on at a bar, then you need to buy that person a drink. That's just how it works. Yeah, That's well, close. If it's you're wearing the shirt, then you got to buy me a drink? No, one way or the other. Okay, as long as someone's long as, getting a drink. As long as somebody's getting a drink. Yeah, it's my go-to airport shirt. And I, I, I hope to kind of find that Wade's Army guy in the airport or gal and buy them a beer. There you go. Texas like, how you doing? I want to buy you a beer. I'd like to get to know you. Yeah. <laughs> in a biblical sense. Uh, uh, yeah, but we're rocking. And uh, one of our last fundraisers, our flash fundraiser, the fourth one, before right before Wade's Day, is going to be live on Power Athlete Radio. I'm just thinking of this now and now. Uh, it so nice. Yeah, I don't, uh, Luke, Luke just went in to uh, fuse his burst as he thought about how he was going to make that happen. But don't worry. If you task Luke Summers with it, he'll figure it out. It's happening. Yeah, uh, we're actually going to start buying drones and uh, start flying drones around. And uh, I don't know what we're going to do with it. But. Well, here's the thing. John's like, here's what we need. Because John's, you know, the idea guy. And he's like, we need, vi- we need to keep the video up. But we need to videotape sprinting and plyo work, but it, like it has to be next to Amanda or whoever's doing the demo. Like, well, we, then we need to buy a drone. We need to hook up a GoPro to it. We need to fly that drone next to Amanda as she's sprinting. What do you, what do you guys think? Well, I think I think it's absolutely well, I think it's genius. Well, what if we had a drone flying around in the gym while we were lifting weights? It was just circling, filming everything. Well, you have to, someone has to command the drone. Why don't you just get a security? Uh, rotates around the gym and just cut the footage. No, because no, that no, makes sense. Because it's like a military device. <laughs> yeah, I, or I just like the idea of like putting a GoPro on your belt buckle and just talking to people's stomachs. <laughs> that idea is is terrible. Jump <laughs> to conclusions, man. Well, my, my belt's higher, so it might be your throat. Yeah. Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> So Playtech, what are you doing? Um, nothing. Getting <laughs> uh, class. I was going to comment on the Wade's Army thing, though. The, uh, the Wade's Army t-shirt is uh, one of a kind in terms of capturing people's attention. Uh, I wear it to school once in a while and around town or whatever. And almost every time it's on my body, somebody is like, what in the hell is Wade's Army? And uh, when I was at uh, the MPGL tryout combine, the first one, um, which was in Atlanta, uh, I noticed a guy, Scott Wilson, who's an Australian power athlete, uh, had the Wade's Army shirt on, and another guy had a Wade's Army shirt. And it was like, 
instantaneously I knew like I had family there. I could go up and talk to them like, hey, what's up with Army guys? Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's a really neat shirt that gets a lot of attention and gets people talking about it. So it's, a, it's an awesome design. Nice. Awesome. It's a, it's a secret underground club. Dude, it is. It's like Fight Club. Like-minded individuals. Yeah. But, we're, but we're helping kids with t-shirts. It's true. Yeah. So how's the... Uh, so... Uh, any reflections on the uh, on the grid stuff? I mean, was there like anything that you left and you thought to yourself like, "Wow, that was amazing"? Like anything that was really, really you left there and you were like, "Shit!" Like this is uh, you know some revelation that you had. Um. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I guess not any revelation as much as I just uh, I really liked it a lot and uh, hope that there's another season. Um, and I got to watch some of the matches on like NBC Sports and NBC, and I was really proud of the way they were presented. It was um, I had some friends watch it, like neighbors that don't, don't like they don't even walk on a fucking treadmill, and uh, they were like it was really exciting. I could understand it. It's neat that you're a part of it. So it was kind of fun. I would definitely I would definitely do it again if there was a season two. And, okay. um, and then I guess like from training perspective. I came out of it realizing that uh, I need to get stronger at some things in terms of the whole like crossfit kind of thing, and so trying to adjust some of my training and uh, diet to to nail some of that stuff. In fact, uh, I'm, I just got some equipment delivered today, and uh, tomorrow I'll be building out a six by four rig with a rope and rings in my backyard. So, uh, nice. So I can practice that. I mean, I'm a single guy now, so there's no wife to tell me. So I can uh, I can go on and work on the gymnastics, and uh, the other benefit, or the reason that how this is how I'm justifying it, is that uh, my boy is four and he needs to learn how to climb a rope and train his grip and be gymnasticy. So it's like an investment in my offspring's athletic future. Nice. <laughs> that seems like that seems like a plenty good excuse. Yeah, excuse. Well, typically costing me just under a thousand dollars to have. Um, 15 foot boom, and then a 12 foot boom for the rings, and then two pull up bars, and then two squat racks. Um, What's that? The uh, the road Castro ring? No, actually, the local company here called Pure Strength Equipment, and uh, they build out some stuff like a big rig in one of my buddy's backyards. And um, so I just contacted them. I said, like, look, and they they do all the local competitions, and I said, this is what I'm looking for. Are you? I'll take old, broken down equipment from like not broken down, but haven't been broken down from the competitions, and so uh, we chatted and negotiated a little bit, and uh, I'm gonna go pick it up, and drill it into the cement patio in my backyard, and it'll be if nothing else, it'll be a conversation piece when I have um, uh, folks over to drink. Yeah, well, they get in the you, you can have a couple beers and go in the back and, and, and be like, how many butterfly pull-ups you got? <laughs> Seventy-five. Prove it. Nice. So that's it. Just training hard and trying to keep on keeping on with the science. I just got uh, elected president of the uh, Applied Evolutionary Science Society. So, ah, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. It's uh, no big deal, I guess. It's an international society, so now I just got to like lead that ship to do cool things. Dude, I, uh, more commitment. on a side note, I watched uh, the movie Lucy. When, uh, uh, is it good? Oh, uh yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I, I was like watching it. And I was thinking about Playtech. I was like, so the premise of the movie is 
these evil guys synthesize this drug that's like CPH6 or something, and it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, a hormone or a chemical that's released during pregnancy that actually creates like the spark of growth for, for, for the fetus or so they say. I don't know. I, I didn't go check to see if it was bullshit or not. But uh, they synthesize this drug and they end up like kidnapping these people and they have it in like probably kilo packets and the way that they're going to smuggle it into places is they basically put an incision in somebody and they stuff it in their guts. And then they like make them go across the border with it. Well, uh, they take... Uh, Who's it? Scarlett Johansson, and she's Scarlett one of the Joe. people, one of the mules, and then uh, some dude ends up like kicking her in the stomach, and it like ruptures, and like gets in there, and like her, uh, you know, what would they say? We use ten percent of her brains. Well, it somehow does something where she ends up using like twenty and thirty percent of her brain, and it's got Morgan Freeman, who's obviously this, um, I don't know what he, he'd probably like an evolutionary biologist, uh, nerd, you know like neurologist or something who's talking about like the you know evolution of brain and this whole deal and he's kind of narrating through it and like it got a little hokey when she started being able to control matter and like make people explode but um no that's totally accurate it, I was watching it with Playtech she ends up like like harnessing 100% of her brain and she turns herself into like a computer chip and like wait a minute I swear to god hang she, on are you spoiling this she movie turns for herself me? into a scan uh, scan disk <laughs> Zip uh, uh, No, no, like like the thing, like you know, like you yeah. the, the little flash drive. She yeah. turns herself into a flash drive at the end. You are so full of shit. I so now you all have to go see this movie. I'm gonna. Yeah. I go watch it. I got it on my phone. That's Luke's dream. Yeah. Uh, well, no, there were no wires, so like Luke didn't like it. Everything was wireless, but uh, the better part is she can control any type of electricity. So she like calls the dude on the phone. And then, like, is in his TV and like talking through all his devices. She's like, "Oh, I can control electricity and matter." So, Steve, is it what's true? up with that? I was like, "So, if we find a secret drug, can I and I can use fifty percent of my brain? Can I basically control matter?" No, of course not. And that'd be the worst capacity to have on a woman to be able to tap into your life that twenty-four-seven. Yep, that's it. Yeah, but you control, you know, half of your brain is used. She can actually go back in time and scroll through time, which was kind of interesting. That's what your brain does. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of weird. Like, I am going to disabuse everybody, all four people that listen to this podcast. Uh, we do not just use 10% of our brain. And, like, here's the analogy I always give in class. What percentage of your heart do you use? 100. Yeah, right? why the fuck would you use 10% of your brain? Uh, because college was rough. Whoa, 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 whoa. The government so, does it to us, dude. That's what when we get, when you're born, no, they give you those this. shots. Teddy, what, what are you sh talking about? Teddy just ride this horse. You yeah. remember in Wedding Crashers where he said, you know, you know, they say we only use 10% of our brains? I don't think we use 10% of our hearts. But you know what? Luke Summers, he uses more. 110. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, Steve, we use 100% so of our brain? So, we use 100% of our brain? Yeah, if you didn't use 100% of your brain, they call that condition dead. Yeah, no. but what about the people that lose half their brain in an accident and they still, like, function normal? They use 100% of what's left of their brain. If you lose half of your brain, you do not So, So, that means if I have a bigger brain, then technically I should be smarter because I can use more brain. So, it's like more horsepower. Like, if everybody uses 100% of the horsepower, then you just got to get a bigger engine? No, because it's relative based on what's called the encephalization quotient. So it's brain to it's log brain to log body weight. So since you're like 6'6 and 400 pounds, you're probably dumber. 
<laughs> it's true. <laughs> hey, that's science, John. <laughs> so if, if I got down to 155 pounds, would I be smaller or smarter? Uh, if you had the same size brain, you'd be relatively uh, higher on an encephalization quotient. So it's, the encephalization quotient is used more for things like interspecies relationships. So, for example, an ostrich has a huge body but a small brain, so it's not so bright. Whereas something like a, um, a dolphin has a small body and a huge brain, and it's considered "quote unquote" brighter, it can solve more problems, that sort of thing. Well, they they uh, in the movie he talked about the dolphin is uh, the the one creature on the planet that uses the most of its brain, and uh, they were talking about like the sonar that obviously the dolphin has evolved to have this sonar that is more sophisticated than I don't know anything we've ever created. So they were using the dolphin as an example. So. How do we get to use at least? Well, if we use 100% of our grain, then that kind of ruins the movie for you, Luke. No, no, I'm gonna go to that. I'm still looking at that thumb drive portion. I don't. I'm not buying it. So she turns herself into a, uh, ex basically a, a thumb drive. Listen, I it's crazy. She like turns into like this black mess, and it just like kicked out, and the guy's like holding it, and he's looking at it, and it's obviously her, and he's like. Movie ends. <laughs> I'm like, I, I swear to God, it was it was so bad that I was like, Luke Summers, this is his movie. Sounds like it's got an Emmy hunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Emmy Emmys are for TV shows, aren't they? Yeah, but this is that good. It's just good. Hey guys, I gotta Luke's go. Like, I gotta go. I gotta go teach. All right, thank all right, you. see you. All right, see you guys. All right, see you, so. Steve. You know Steve gets all excited when he gets to geek out on some of that stuff. Uh, and he, can, yeah. he can pull out these, oh, it's called the whatever quotient. I mean, he just gets all fired up. I don't I believe he's making his names up. Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah he's, he's full of crap. Yeah, because Tex makes it it's so <laughs> awesome that he's off and he just can't argue. Uh, but Tex made a good point. Like, there's there's brain trauma. There's there are patients that have brain trauma, have portions of brain removed, and they seem to function at 100% capacity, which would make you believe that that was non-valued tissue mass in terms of cognitive functioning. Right, Tex? Am I right? Yeah, and then... Uh, and you're right, you're right. I, I, uh, I shared something with Luke about this guy who got struck by lightning, and then all of a sudden he could play, like, classical piano and speak Portuguese, yeah. and it's like a, a, a switch was turned on, you know? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but then he kept peeing in the refrigerator, so it didn't help. <laughs> hey, man, your clock won't flush. That was, uh, that was a buddy of mine in college. Uh, he used to get so messed up that uh, he kept talking about, uh, every, like, he had a kind of a weird deal. He's like, yeah, man, every time I, uh, I get messed up, I, I go take a leak, and God keeps turning on lights for the bathroom. And, like, he kept telling us his story, and then, like, finally like, a week later, he's like, yeah, that wasn't God. I kept peeing in the refrigerator. <laughs> I was like, how messed up are you? He's like, that's pretty fucked up. I was like, I was like, did you have to go back? He's like, well, yeah, I do an experiment. I got that fucked up again, and sure enough, he's like, uh, you know, I God turned it on, but I ended up waking up in front of his refrigerator in a pile of urine. So he was like, yeah, it wasn't that. I was peeing in the refrigerator. Well, what about Phineas uh, Gage? You guys ever hear the story of Phineas Gage, the construction worker who, like, somehow a pipe was impaled through his head, and he was able to carry on normal conversations, um, like had no effects of a freaking steel pipe being driven through his skull. I think his skull is in like the Smithsonian. No shit. 
And then did he live? Yeah, it was like a piece of rebar, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. He totally lived, right? I should, you know what? I, I should look up the stories. I'm sure Luke's Googling it right now. No, uh, no, I'm not. But Phineas Gage, P H I N E S Gage. Oh, yeah, and he was like an alcoholic, bad person. As soon as he got the thing in the head, he turned in like a good human. I remember that. Yeah, we gotta get. We have to have a grill play tech episode where it's like, <laughs> well, what about this? And then he just gets to tell us why. Well, See, I think we need in the to, movie Lucy. If I use her in my brain, can I turn it into a thumb drive? Well, here's what I think. I think we need to diversify our podcast offering. One, that's a training podcast. Two, that is a movie review podcast of movies everyone's already seen. And we try to get them to watch it again. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> that's actually, it's actually pretty smart. And then, uh, and We're then like, so like Revenge tech. of the Nerds. <laughs> This story takes place at the <laughs> the Tri Lambs at Adams College. Those moose and sure know how to party. Yeah, <laughs> you stole you my line. Moose. Oh god. Uh, but uh, what else do we got? Tex, I know you got to pop off. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um. Yeah, well, we can talk plyos. We can talk injury pro. We can talk articles. And uh, let's do injury. Yeah, let's do. Let's go injury prone. That's a that's a term you hear a lot of. Uh, yeah. So the uh, I, I caught up some article about uh, I checked in on some old Texas guys that I knew were injured to see if they were playing, and I found one of their quotes, and I, I led the article off with it, and I thought it was pretty pretty powerful. And uh, right after I found that, I uh, RD three got injured, and Luke and I just had a quick conversation. Like, there's got to be something going on with this preparation, his training, and um, I know I, I live in D.C., so that 405 squat for IG3 was floating around the internet, so it, it just got me thinking about the past, and I found one quote I really liked. It was, uh, sharp pencils do not translate into sharp performance, and this label of injury prone, it's almost just a slap in the face for a strength coach of, you didn't do your fucking job, or you suck. Uh, so I just kind of pieced together this article based off some experiences and uh, talks with John and Luke. Uh, did you get a chance to read it, Denny? Of course, man. Yeah, I read it. Uh, any take? Let me know, Luke. Luke, you walked through it. What would you think? Uh, you know, it's exactly what we were – What you put together – Kelly, no sneezing. We're on a podcast. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was exactly what we talked about, you know, when he first, when he first busted his stuff up, and we were we were talking about uh, his subway commercial and his valgus knee drop and the vertical jump test, and uh, no, I thought it was great, man, and it's uh, I think it's an easy way out, and, and it's just a perfect example of uh, the philosophy of put together something for the best guy on the field, and it should it'll make that best guy better. But I think that's the curse of the gifted, you know, a lot of the a lot of the philosophy that we talked about at the seminar. Yeah, and I, I know we uh, just have some kind of um, coach's responsibility conversations about uh, the functional movement screening and uh, it just how they, they test its validity. It just drives me insane that all these college athletes, you know, it's their lives, it's their last opportunity, they're basically guinea pigs to test the validity for this test. So you go in, you take, you take 30 to 40 athletes, they go through the functional movement screening, they get their score, and then it's, hey, I, they scored 14 points or greater or lower. Let's see who fucks up their knees, their ankles, their Achilles, whatever, so we can prove the validity of this test. 
Lab so rats. I, yeah, fucking lab rats. And it's it's their last opportunity. Why are we doing all the strength and conditioning? Because these kids are coming to you for help, and these scientists, Javin and Steve, they're just using these kids, you know, taking advantage of them. Sons of bitches. Yeah. The uh, I know J John had some take on injury prone athletes at the uh, at his level. Is that more kind of psychological? Yeah, I mean it's uh, there's a real like okay in the NFL and also in college there's this idea that like the guys that hang out in the training room end up becoming like training room guys and I had this kind of superstition like I didn't really hang out in the training room I didn't go in there and like eat lunch and like kick it and there's guys that are like big big like you know want to hang out in the training room all the time and I just over the years noticed that those guys tended to get injured more um, you know so if I got hurt my uh, you know I had to go to the training room I did everything in my power to get out of that place it's like um, you know people that you know, like the you know, you're around a lot of sick people a lot, and they say, you know, you you know, you start to feel sick. So, um, the other thing I found is that the guys that had pretty good mechanics and you know ended up not having the injuries. You know, now in the NFL, there's uh, there's another big rule that you know the guys that play on the ground don't play. So if a guy falls to the ground, you can't keep your feet, especially in the offensive line. If I got a guy that falls down, then I'm going to get hurt. So the only time that people ever uh, got hurt, I mean. I broke my leg when uh, we were doing just a little scoop block up to the linebacker on, from the three technique for a little inside zone play, and uh, the tackle was laid off the ball and kind of loafed on the play. So when I hit the, the three technique, came off, hit the backer, that three technique ended up making the tackle into the back of my leg and broke my leg. So there was a situation where uh, that fat, lazy piece of shit fucking broke my leg because uh, Trey didn't feel like getting off on the ball, and even though it's 10 years later, I'm still bitter at him about it. But... Um, you know, there were situations like that all the time. Like, you had to keep your feet moving. Uh, I had to make my block or the next guy would get hurt. I mean, I remember uh, Bubba Miller got his leg broken. I mean, I, I hit a linebacker and ended up dumping him on the ground. And as I hit him, he went on another guy. And that guy, Donald, affected him breaking Bubba's leg. And shit, that was kind of the end of Bubba's career. So, I mean, there's all these kind of different things. And I remember that happened to me pretty young in my career. And I realized, like, if I hit somebody and I go dump them on the ground there might be a situation where all of a sudden that guy hurts somebody. So at that point, I realized, like, okay, i got to hit this guy and drive him, not just put him on the ground. And so as you start playing and, and you know, get a little bit older, you realize, like, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I'd love to pancake this dude and fucking dance over him like Florida State style, you know, but uh, that might hurt somebody. So, you know, we had a big deal, too. If a young guy ever came in and he, um, you know, young guys get real excited, they want to over, they want to start falling down, and if they were on the ground then, you know, we told him we, we don't want to play around him, and we told the coach, like, get rid of this guy. He, he can't play on his feet. So uh, that's a big one. You know, you got to keep your feet moving. You don't stand around the pile. That was another big one in football. If you stand around the pile, you're going to get yeah. lit up. Um, so if you're around the pile, you're either jumping over the pile or going, you know, you're doing something. You just don't ever stop. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there, there was a million different reasons, but I remember seeing the guys that were injured it was always like weird kind of little deals. I mean, I, you know, and it was always because somebody else wasn't doing their job or somebody else did something bad and the domino effect kind of happened and the player got hurt. So, you know, the the scary thing is when you have a guy like RG3 that ends up having all these non-contact issues where he's just doing normal things and hurts himself. And so you kind of go back and you're like, well, if he's having this many non-contact non injuries, what is he doing 
uh, in his you know everyday preparation, his training that's not allowing him to execute successfully. And you know, like just watching him move in space. I mean, we talked about the knees. We talked about a lot of different things. I mean, you know, probably lack of hip strength, lack of hip lock, or lack of hamstring. I mean, the guy's obviously super gifted athlete. He just needs to you know put on a little more armor and a little more muscle, a little more size, and actually probably come visit us and, uh, and have have us help him because whoever he's working with isn't doing a good job. I mean, yeah, if, I, I think- if if I had two non-contact injuries, I'd fire. I mean, I'd be like, hey, man. Uh, you might be my brother or my cousin, but I'm not coming back to see you. I'm gonna go find somebody that knows what the fuck they're doing. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things, man. I mean, he's he's going to, uh, you know, if he makes it back from this one, he's going to be at a disadvantage. And you know, Kurt Cousins is coming in playing well, and yeah. and you know now he's got to come in and win his job back. And even though he's the face of the franchise, you know, I mean, uh, on anybody else else's team other than Snyder's team, that wouldn't matter for shit. But you know, Snyder's a a, a capitalist fucking douchebag. And uh, you know he, he's gonna he's gonna put uh, RG three in because he spent the most money on him. He didn't yeah, give a shit about yeah. people. I mean, if, if that dude really really cared about people, uh, the minute that the whole Redskin thing came up with the name, he would have been like, you know what, um, this is about image, and you know what, this is about the right uh, the right thing to do. And uh, you know, if this many people are upset by it, then you know what, I'm gonna do the right thing and I'm change the name. And all he had to do, and the guy would have been, uh, you know. In America's pocket, everybody would have been like, "Oh, that's a quality dude." You know, I mean, it's uh, whether or not you think the name is right or wrong, it still offends people, and it's still a derogatory term to a race or a uh, uh, you know race or a group of people that you know we did some bad stuff to for a long, long time. So if it's upsetting them and you want to change it, you know what? Fucking who cares? Change the name. It's not going to devalue your franchise. So what? You got to go out and buy new equipment and rebrand everything. That you should. Anyways. Well, no, but then where does it end? Does the Cleveland Indians have to change their name? No. Uh, well, no. I mean, the uh, I mean, other Milwaukee Brewers going to have to change their name because they're well, related to alcohol and there's all kinds of DUIs. Think, think about this. Think about this. What about if there was a team that was the New York Black Faces? Well, yeah. No. Okay. Well, think of, hey, hey, hey. Listen, Denny. Now, if there was a team that was called the Black Faces, do you think that that team would still be called the Black Faces? No way. No, no way. There'll be no way. It would, it would no, be yeah, right. uh, 100%. I mean, you know what? Like, yeah, I mean, is the uh, is the fighting Irish, is is that derogatory towards white people? Could be. Yeah, well, why, I mean, why, are, the, well, why are the Irish fighting? Because they're drunk. Because they're drunk right? all the time. I thought right. they just disagreed on the end of right. the Yeah, so, I mean, like, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Irish, and do, you know, do I see Notre Dame and feel pride, pride from it? Because that's a, you know, like, uh, you know, like... I don't think the Cleveland Indians are going to have a problem. I mean, I don't know everything, but like, you know, if well, look uh, or their mascot, you know what I mean? I mean, it, I don't know. I, I mean, I I understand what you're saying, and, and I'm not agreeing that. Oh yeah, Dan. Dan Snyder. It's a slippery slope, though. Yeah, I mean, it it, 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 it it is a slippery slope, but here's the deal. Yeah, uh, this is. I mean, so here, this is the problem in that the day we're in, which is 2014. The things that really don't matter, like, you know, like, this is the worst thing that we have. We have to have a congressional fucking hearing on the fact that the Redskins need to change their name. Like, that's the best use of our time? No. Like, we have so many big fucking problems in this country, but what we've done is we've effectively distract people with minutia so that they stay away from the really, really big problems that we have going well, on sure. around us. That's so, the fucking media agenda. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, if, you know, if you were an NFL team, you know, and let, like, let's you know, really break it down. I mean, you know, even though people live and die with fantasy football and somehow believe that, like, life really matters around football, it's a fucking game. It's entertainment. 
So if you are a media company and the idea of having an image and selling a game which is entertainment to people, if something negatively affects that and people turn off the TV or people are not in your corner, then you know what? You have to fucking change it. It's just like for the deal. You, you know, do you think they suspended Ray Rice because he because he, he he punched his wife? No. Well, I mean, he did. He he got disturbed. But the reason he got back and he, and he got double double jeopardy was because the video went out. And dude, the video. I mean, he we watched it. He cracked her. And you know what? That like you know the largest spending demographic you know uh, for for the NFL right now is women. I mean that whole deal and like. They, they had an image problem, so they had to go out and they, had, they layered the boom on him. I mean, people are still calling for Goodell's head for not laying the boom the first time. And now you got the Adrian Peterson deal. I mean, you have all of these issues. The NFL needs a break, but uh, if I was Dan Snyder, I'd just be like, you know what? Take it. Change it. And you know what? Have a contest where you let the fans select the name. Be like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to not be the douchebag that everybody knows me to be. And I'm going to, you know what? Put out a contest and I'm going to let the fans pick the new name for this and or you know what or go and talk to the uh, uh, you know the Bureau of, of uh, Native Americans and be like you know what I still want to have something that represents the roots of the team but I want to have a name that is not derogatory and that you do not feel offended so please come in and help me select a new name can we keep the same logo let's just pick a new name and you know what would have happened instantly that guy would have become uh, a likable person and not this guy who just seems like some rich dude that's playing fantasy football with an NFL team and never winning games. But still, where would you draw the line? I mean, I, let me. I gotta make. Let me make. Why, point why, to, first of all, why do you have? Why do you have to draw a line? Because it seems like any kind of, any kind of. Uh, Danny, it's the world we live in. Like this isn't. This I mean, isn't 1950s. I understand it's the world we live in, but I can. I just feel like if, and hey, you know, yeah, change the name, whatever. But I mean, it, it could lead to other things to where if any, if I were to create a team now, I mean, how am I going to think of a name for it without it offending 100% of the population? Easy. So somebody won't like it. And is that all it means is that they can just, you know, uh, write a few letters and get a petition going and then I have to change my product's name because it offended certain people? Well, Denny, you know there's, a, there's a big difference. You're not running a multi-billion dollar corporation that's predicated on people's uh, supposed or, uh, you know, fucking imaginary allegiance to you. So, I mean, you got to remember, the NFL, their entire deal is about image. Now, I realize that your business, that you're, 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 your imaginary business that you're running that's building widgets is not built upon image. You are selling a product that's completely built upon image like people click on they want to watch their fantasy football follow their favorite teams I mean they basically integrated this idea of this sport into America's fabric and America's lives and people live and die with this stuff if there's ever a moment where people turn it off and be like you know what these guys are a bunch of racist insensitive assholes and we have an image problem you have to change it <laughs> you know I mean where does it end it it ends where it has to end. And you know what? For me, it ends when I'm not under the microscope. And if I'm Dan Schneider and I got congressional hearings, I have F, uh, I think it was the F, uh, uh, what was it, um, the Federal Communications Bureau. FCC. Yeah, FCC just had a deal where uh, somebody, uh, a lawyer just submitted that um, uh, using the term Redskins over, uh, over the airwaves is a derogatory term and therefore that needs to be banned. You have a situation where now the people that are, televising and showing your games on TV 
are potentially not even going to be able to say the name of your team because it's a derogatory and offensive statement, like the same as dropping the F-bomb on a, on a public broadcast. Well, well, what if... When did the Redskins... Uh, when were they established? You know, what if the intent of that organization, whoever created it, I can't think of the name, what if it was to honor, like, the American Indian? Well, that's yeah, what he we said. we look back at it now that's... as Redskin, the name's offensive, but what if... What if it was called like their Washington Natural Natural American team, or you know, and then twenty years from now, the term Natural American is offensive to somebody. Then you got to reevaluate. Then, then you got to reevaluate. You got to change it. So we're everybody's fucked. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, you can't create any kind we of. Can, we can pretend that we don't live in that society. Well, we live in that society. Everybody That's would right. love to go back to the 1950s and the 1940s where we're like, okay, you know what? I mean, you got to remember, dude, uh, World War II, uh, we went around and picked up everybody of Japanese descent and put them in internment camps here in Southern California. I have friends whose parents were, you know, basically fearful that, uh, you know, that the Japanese were going to somehow jap us, which have you ever heard that term? We got japped. That was being attacked, which comes out of Pearl Harbor, another derogatory statement. So you know what? Like we we surround we rounded up all those people and put them in internment camps based on that Pearl Harbor deal in World War II. Now, can you imagine uh, after um, the the Middle East, all this ISIS, all this stuff that's going on in Syria and Iraq, that if we just went around and decided to create internment camps of Muslims and and people from the Middle East? I mean, anybody of of Middle East descent, we're just going to basically lock you up in a camp because we don't know what you're going to do. I mean, that that wouldn't happen today. But you got to remember, I mean, that was just seventy years ago. That we yeah. did that. So I mean, you know, like, like let's be realistic. Like we're not living, you know, night, you know, we're not living in those days. Those days have come and gone. Those days of like my when my dad was a kid and used to be able to get on the bus and ride it from Culver City to Venice and you know lived a good life. I mean, now it's like you know I tell you not let your kids play outside. So I mean, we live in a different environment. And you know what? We can pretend that we don't. Or you can just say, you know what, this is the world we live in. It's offensive to this group of people. I'm going to potentially blackball people. So you know what, I'm going to turn this from a negative to a positive, And I'm going to actually do the right thing, or more importantly, the honorable thing, and be like, you know what, it is offensive. You know what, here's a, a, a race of people, a group of people, and of individuals that we systematically exterminated over a bunch of years. So that, you know, I mean, we, you know, shit. When Columbus came here, you got to remember, there was a population that was, you know, two-thirds of what we have here in the United States. And within a short period of time, that thing had gone down to like, you know, 90% had basically gone off of smallpox and other diseases. So, I mean, you have a huge issue with this. And you know what? Whether it's right or wrong, fuck, you have a fucking image business. You know, what are you going to just keep fighting people until finally people are like, fuck this guy. You know what? This guy's an insensitive ass. We're not going to go to the games. Sponsors aren't going to pull it. So, you know, FedEx, who's their biggest sponsor, how, how long is FedEx going to stay in the fight when they're like, hey, you know what? This is bad for business. You know, and like, you know, at that point, like, you know, these are, uh, you know, it, it might have been cool, but you know what? It's not cool. And people are offended by it. So, you know what? I mean, whether or not I think it's right or wrong and you're like, fuck, where does it end? You know what? It, it ends when fucking, uh, you know, then people stand up and they're like, you know what? It's it's done. We're tired of this bullshit. But you know what? People aren't. And if people are still going to bring fights, they're still going to bring battles. And if it upsets people, then you have to change it. And you have to remember the NFL is a media company that their deal is about TV revenues and profit sharing and getting you, you know, get, getting your dollars to buy jerseys and get to seats and concessions and, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, direct TV NFL package. I mean, all of that goes in. I mean, there's a reason Goodell makes $44 million a year. 
because he, you know, he's tied to the revenue share. And if something and an owner, and if I'm the, if I'm one of the 31 other owners that's looking at Dan Schneider, I'd be like, hey, motherfucker, change your name. You know why? Because this is making us all look bad. You know? Yeah. I mean, you think that's what they're going to, well, that's what's happening now? Well, I mean, dude, if, 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 yeah, well, yeah, if, I mean, you you honestly think that, like, um, you know, that stuff that's happening in Baltimore with Ray Rice, you don't think that, like, the, you know, the Baltimore Ravens are looking around being like, Jesus, or, you know, or now Minnesota with, you know, Adrian Peterson, who, you know, has this, you know, deal where, you know, he's, uh, uh, you know, now he's on an inactive deal, and now he's dealing with his legal stuff, and I just read another deal about, you know, he had a, uh, a rape case that, you know, an assault case and, like, underage minor sex deal. Oh yeah, and like a bunch of stuff with his charity, where uh, you know the uh, you know his underage brother paid for the room with the with the credit card from the charity that was used in a potential you know rape case. I mean, just like, dude, like, yeah. I mean, everybody has a right to due process, and everybody has a right, you know, all these things. But all this information starts coming out, and it's like shit, man. Like all of these things tarnish the badge. I mean, as an NFL player, they talked about, you know what? Protect the badge, protect the shield. Don't tarnish the shield. All of these things tarnish the shield, and the NFL has to go out and you know do everything they can to protect their image. And you know what? Like if this guy doesn't want to change the name, and he you know, and the FCC decides that it's an offensive name and that they can no longer use it in a public broadcast, so then they're going to be like, the Washington team is here, and they can't you know, and they can't show Redskin, they can't show anything. I mean, dude, like at that point, you're like, wait a minute, this is cutting into our revenue dollars. Fucking change the name. Who cares? It's a fucking name. People are still going to follow the team. It's not like all of a sudden you're going to lose a fan because you're not the Redskins anymore. You know, I, uh, you know, uh, okay. So now they're the, the the Washington Warriors or the Native American Warriors or something or the you know something that was less offensive but still within the uh, Native American deal. You know, let let those guys come in. We'll pick us a name. You know, you tell me what name's not offensive to you that will still hold true to the foundations and the ideals of our team. They come in and pick a name. Great. You know what? You just got a cosign stamp from the uh, uh, Native American Bureau for this is the name that we are going to go with. So you know, ten years from now, if they decide it's offensive, it's, it doesn't fly. That'd be cool. Yeah, and and you know what? And that guy would instantly not only pick up uh, more fans. Everybody'd be like, "Oh, this guy's actually a pretty good guy, and he did the right thing." You know what? Yeah. I mean, that's you know, I mean, but you know what? Dan Snyder won't do it. He's a fucking douchebag. <laughs> See how it plays out. It might not be up there. Yeah, right? it's interesting, man. Yeah. So, but uh, we're at that. It's that time. I guess we're closing day since uh, we couldn't get more on here. Let's hear. You know who doesn't have a playlist on our Spotify? Who? The Voice. Yeah. Denny. What? What's my Spotify that? playlist? Oh man, you know what? Uh, okay. Let it go from Frozen. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, you got Daniel Tiger. No, you know what? I'm like a metalhead, dude. So well, I, I, we were working out today, and all of a sudden, I looked at Luke, and uh, as uh, Ronnie James Dio's "Holy Diver" came on, and Luke was like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "The fact that you don't know Ronnie James Dio and one of the greatest rock songs ever." Holy Diver. It's not how it went down, but go on. I'll go with it. Ronnie but, uh, James Dio. So what do you no, got? I'm, what do you got, Denny? I'm more like Pan. Hello? Oh, looks like we Denny hit the disconnect button at his time to shine. At his time to shine. Okay, so let's pick songs for Denny. Uh, I think he's Cherry Pie by uh, Warrant. 
I think he's uh, When the Children Cry by White Tiger. Just nothing but love, but like power love ballads. Power love ballads, like yeah. it, it, like Twisted Sister. Did Twisted Sister have a love ballad? I don't think so. No, no or way. Do you think Def Leppard? D. Snyder never did a love ballad. Uh, uh, Def Leppard, like I could see Denny with pour some sugar on me. Yeah, there you uh, go. I could see Denny with. Um, oh God. Uh, I think he, you know, he's got young. Boys in every rose Dude, has listen, a thorn. He's got younger daughters. He's surrounded by it. I think maybe he's maybe he's getting wrapped into like the 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 current pop culture. Well, let's do let's do let's do like let it go frozen. What? Let's go let it go frozen, and then let's also go with. Uh, uh, that that new song that he likes, the one about uh, all bass, no trouble song. I keep hearing. Uh, are you guys creating my own playlist for me? Yeah, we just did. Uh, yeah. we, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got when the children cry by White Tiger. We got Cherry Pie oh, by Warren. We got. Uh, uh, you're talking big hair, '80s metal, <laughs> diehard metal. All right, I got so Pantera. All right, Pantera using my third arm off the Far Beyond Driven album. Pantera also, uh, later on, Phil and Samuel created a band called Super Joint Ritual. A Lethal Dose of American Hatred is the name of that album. So I got uh, songs called Sickness and Personal Insult. Those are great songs. Alice in Chains, pretty much any song off the Dirt album. Uh, Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, nice. Bring Me Down. Uh, a band called DRI, The Dirty Rotten Imbeciles. Right, they had a they had a thrash zone album, so I got beneath the wheel, and any song off Metallica's Master of Puppets. Uh, Denny, you a little ICP fan? I'm not a big ICP fan, dude. I not uh, I thought that was those guys are just kind of shitty. Yeah, yeah. Insane clown posse. Yeah, dude. Like yeah. what? Uh, we saw a whole documentary on those. Uh, what what do they call their people? Uh, juggalos. Yeah, Juggalos. I, I I was into it for. I was more fascinated with just the. Uh, the culture that they created, uh, and the music was all right. I mean, I'm, it I'm fucking not sucked. Like, I'm I, I, I remember Doug Brzezinski got me some ICP, and I was like, "This is these fat fucking guys dressed up as clowns suck." They, it was one bullshit. was fat, one was skinny. Yeah, I, but it was amazing. I think they, I thought they did some great things for me. So, some people <laughs> who needed it. Those trucks <laughs> in their trunk full of Fago. God, some of those lyrics just stuck in my head though. My younger brother, uh, he was a big ICP fan, and I just I, I couldn't get into it. I thought it was just all shit. Yeah. I liked Eminem, you know, a white oh, guy sure. who could freestyle. I mean, well, kind of like that. What's your deal with Eminem? Uh, he's been around 15 years, still and he's angry. still angry. You know whose joke that is? Kate Wilborn. <laughs> yeah, that's there my you wife. Go, Kate. There's your shot. Yeah, my, my wife, I remember, because uh, I'm an Eminem fan, we were listening to it, and she's like, you know, it's been... What's he been on the radio? I'm like, I don't know. We looked him up like 14 years. She's like, yeah, and he's still angry. Like, how can you still be mad at your mom and still angry after all those years? You just lose credibility. And I was like, yeah, it's great. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to steal that. Eminem, still angry. And so. uh, it was just like a week ago. We probably dropped that joke 150 times because that's her specialty, the same thing over and over. And she goes, you know what? I can't take it anymore. I get no credit for that joke. That was my joke. And I whip my head right to John. He's like, it's her joke. <laughs> yeah, she did. It was her joke. But uh, all right, man. Well, let's let's cut it off. We all got stuff to do. But uh, thanks, Dave. We can get that playlist posted up. I'll get you a link to it. All right, dude. I'll send Later, it to bro. you. All right, take care, you guys. We'll talk to you. Later. See you, Dave. Bye. 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 Bye.